Well, let's kick this episode off with my deepest apologies, everybody. I got COVID two days before my regularly scheduled release day and ended up sick in bed well past the intended release time. I'm fine. Nobody asked. Totally fine. There's a cough left over, but during all of that, I was barely able to talk and I couldn't wear my headphones or do anything else with just all the super fun COVID symptoms that uh, I had. So again, sorry this was late, but I am making up for it with a second episode this week. As for the actual show today, my guest is David Hennessy. He started a holistic personal development program known as the Wonder Technique in 1999. He's worked with many thousands of peoples in every format and has traveled to over 20 countries while doing it. He's also a wonderful and genuine human being that I enjoyed talking to, and so happens to have recently joined the Just Dumb Enough listenership. Hi, David. Now, let's take care of ourselves by learning the basics we somehow forgot. Welcome to the show. David Hennessy. Hello, dear. Thank you for inviting me, Colton. Yes, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you give everyone a little introduction who's not familiar with you? Oh, wow. Okay, a little introduction. That's to have to control the Irish in me to desire to, to share a lot. Uh, truthfully, uh, to give a little perspective for myself, I was born in Ireland. I lived in Ireland for quite a while. I moved to Canada. For those people who know Canada well, I was in British Columbia, the West Coast. And then I moved to France, the south of France. And I've lived probably, if you cut my life into three pieces, roughly a third in each place. So I've lived in three very different cultures and two of the same language, one that I didn't speak the language, and then I finally learned the language being in France. And I've also had the, really the pleasure of traveling to over 20 countries in my life by intention to explore different parts of the world, everywhere from the Himalayas to Egypt to Romania, to Pakistan and all kinds of places. And yeah, and I have um, two wonderful children. There you go. So, That's yeah. great. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what made you choose France? That's uh, that's a good question because I moved to France because um, in 2009, my mother-in-law was really ill and we decided to move to help her. That was the reason. And it was in January, 2009 in April, we were here. So it was very, very quick. As I say to some people, including my children, that's probably not the best decision to make because when you move to another country and you don't speak the language, you basically leave your ability to work behind, which is what I did. Uh, and I had to restart from scratch, very scratch, <laughs> very much bottom, but move for the right reason. I have no regret to, from doing that. And sometimes in life, we just have to dive in and uh, hopefully that things will work out. And I can say that after going through a lot of trials and tribulations, things have worked out. That's great. And I'm glad to hear that everything's kind of worked out. Yeah. Um, is that when you started doing what you're doing now? Not at all, Colton. No, I started, uh, I developed a personal development program that started actually in 1999, the Wonder Technique. So that was long predates uh, moving to France. And I was doing that in Canada for a long time. So in fact, when I moved to, to France, kind of everything was in kind of chaos because I, I mean, I wasn't speaking the local language and I always had gone out and worked directly with people. I mean, I've, I've worked with over 7,000 people in person. So the idea of doing stuff, uh, you know, remotely or, you know, through Zoom, which is very common nowadays, or any other sort of online service was not in my mind. So I had to take a step back for a while from, from my work, plus a lot of other things that had happened in my life. After I moved to France from being in a car accident to having a rock climbing fall, all kinds of things happened that kind of delayed things, but I learned a lot through that experience. So yeah, the wonder technique came from a long time before. And I think, you know, it, I'm blessed if I've helped other people in my life, but it also really helped myself because what I'd learned prior to moving to France actually really helped me through the struggles that I've experienced here. And I kind of believe in a term that I, I've coined it's resilience in advance. 
I think that the key is, you know, a simplified version, I would say, is if you have a fire extinguisher in your car and you've got a, you know, an ice engine, you've got internal combustion engine. If the engine goes on fire, actually, in fact, electric car can still go on fire too, but you have something to deal with the problem. You know, if you have a battery cables and you need to jumpstart the car, you've got something. That's because you're prepared in advance. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in my experience is they learn to look at things after the problem is started. So like in relationships, if you're having a challenge um, in communication, you want to be constantly working on your communication skills, not wait till you have no communication in that relationship and then start learning. Because in fact, then it becomes even harder. So you don't want to start as, you know, figuring out how to work a parachute while you're in midair. <laughs> That's a very good example. You would not want to be like, hey, which one of these things do I pull to not uh, exactly. fall straight to the earth? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I like to, I don't know about yourself, Golden, over life, I'm, I'm very, very curious. I love to learn. So I pick up a lot of skills over time, but skills that I feel that can be applicable and kind of blend into my life to make things better. So maybe you have that sort of experience too, where you you might think, well, this could be handy sometime. And then it turns out, yes, it was very valuable. Yeah, I definitely love to pick up things from everywhere. And then of course the show came around and now I pick up things more than once a week with, yes. with people like yourself. Yes. So I am, uh, I am rapidly becoming a very, uh, small Swiss army knife. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to put it, but it's a great thing. A Swiss army knife. Yep. It's got a lot of benefits to it for sure. Yeah. I've got to say, I picked up some things from each of my interviews. So I've got a little bit of skill, but I love to bring in people like yourself to talk about, you know, the much more specialized versions of everything mm -hmm. um, because you're going to do it far better than I'll be. If I just talk to you and then do my own show. <laughs> True. Very true. What is it that you uh, are most curious about? Like my approach to personal development, contrary to what not a lot of people think of, is very holistic, meaning I look at the broad impact and what I call the crossover between all the different areas of our lives. Because for me, for example, I'm the same person on the podcast as I am the person at work, the same person with my family, with my friends. Why I'm that way is because it's really less stressful. I know that as I grew up, a lot of people said, no, at work, you must go this way. And when you're with your friends, you're a different person, like you have a different mask. I don't have that. And because I couldn't do that, that never worked for me. I'm always the same sort of person. So if we were having this conversation, you know, in a coffee shop or at a pub or at a party or wherever, it would be still the same, David. I don't have to change. So in that way, I just am myself. And I believe that's a much easier way to be. So, and, and when I look at um, the holistic approach to personal development, the wonder technique, it's about how everything interacts. About, for example, you know, if your abilities, a lot of people are really focused on sleep, the importance of sleep, which is extraordinarily important. And it's become more and more important over the years as we've seen more and more research come out about it. When I started the wonder technique in 1999, I knew that there was something special about sleep, but there wasn't a lot of research out at that time. And now there's more and more like people like Matthew Walker has really made a huge difference in sharing with people the importance of sleep, how it impacts your ability to learn, impacts your ability to memorize things. And I say to people, well, you know, some people say to me, David, I'd love to meditate, love to quiet my mind. And then we talk a little more and I say, well, how's your sleep? So, well, I don't really sleep that well. Well, if you can't really sleep that well, okay, or if you're not eating the right foods that your body needs to nourish it it's not going to be very easy for you to focus your mind when you're trying to meditate. And some people say, well, I can meditate and uh, I can do it really well, um, but I, I really want to improve it. And then you find that there's all these other areas in your life that are kind of falling apart. They interact with each other, you know? So it's really surprising to me that not everybody sees that everything is really interconnected. Like if you're not eating the right foods, if your blood sugar is spiking all over the place, how can you expect your mind to be calm when you're sitting down? And if you eat food just before you go to bed and your body's trying to digest when you're lying horizontal, which is really challenging to do, how can you expect yourself to have proper sleep? So there's all these different things that are entwined together. And I think that uh, when we get a hold and understanding on a very simple basis of all these different areas, we can actually integrate them into our lives quite easily. It's not super complex. I believe the secret is in the simplicity. And then we can use those tools 
to enhance all our lives and become more, you know, healthier, calmer, better decision makers. You know, how well, how, how well can you make a decision if you're tired or if you're hungry or if you're stressed? Like you can see this, right? It's, it doesn't, it sound so very obvious. It kind of sounds like trying to run a marathon on an empty stomach and then write a book afterwards. Yeah. Like how good's your book going to be? It's not going to be very good because you're going to be really tired and really hungry and really want to go to sleep or uh, just lay down. And instead you're going to be like, okay, I got to crank out a hundred pages today. It's going to be a pretty bad book. (laughs) Exactly. And and it is an acronym that I've shared before. And I I love acronyms because they really help me remember for anybody who's listening or perhaps even for yourself, Colton, if you don't use acronyms. When I went to university in psychology, one of the ways that helped me remember things was I created words, but actually more than created words, I used words that existed and I used the letters of the word to help remember things. Okay, so that it became something. Okay, so when I was trying to remember something in the exam, I would remember the word, and then I would, through my mind, I would think of, okay, so this letter means this. Okay, okay, and all the information would start to come back because I had like an anchor inside my mind. And there's an acronym that I did not create, full disclosure, and I still haven't found the original source, although I've heard that people in um, an association called Alcoholics Anonymous use it a lot. And this is the acronym HALT, H A L T. Okay, and why I mentioned that is, is because this is a tool everybody can use to help them make better decisions. And what it is, you avoid making decisions when you're hungry, avoid making decisions if you're angry, avoid making decisions if you feel lonely, and avoid making decisions if you're tired. And think about any time you've made a bad decision, or like if you go to the grocery store and you decide to go shopping and you're really tired, or you're really hungry, you probably buy just about everything that you really don't need. <laughs> Yep. I have done that one lots of times. Go to the grocery yeah. store and I'm like, well, I meant to pick up 10 things, but I've got a full cart and I'm here now. So I guess this yeah. is what's coming home with me. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I I look for all these little tools and I love sharing them. So and looking at, you know, how can you make a better decision? Because, you know, you can't make a better decision if you're really tired. If you have a conflict with somebody going in again into the area of relationship, probably the best thing you can do if you're feeling upset or if you're feeling tired or hungry, is just say to the person, listen, I, I really want to figure this out with you, but I need a little bit of time. Whether the time is to go rest, to eat, to just calm down. Because if you're in the midst of a, of a conflict, then I don't know if there's anybody on the planet who's never had a conflict with somebody. When I say a conflict, a disagreement, something that you're, it's intense and, and something's not really going well. If how to resolve that is a skill, but it's a skill that you can learn by understanding that you need to step back out of the situation and go, okay, I need time to think about this. And in most cases, um, people will understand that you need a few moments. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I don't remember exactly where I heard it. I'd love to credit them, but I heard someone say, if you're in the middle of a very intense disagreement with someone over anything, be it you know personal or business, they said, you know, if you feel that becoming too extreme, pull the ripcord to go back to our, our skydiving. Yes. Um, they're like, you need something to stop it, slow your descent. And then once you're back on the ground, now you can, you know, take back over into whatever discussion you were having before, because you're either, you know, too emotional or too unstable in whatever is happening to, to really dive into it in that moment. For sure. And if you need an exit and you don't, you know, you're trying to say, I need to back out, you know, just go to the washroom. Say, I've got to go to the washroom because that'll get you out of that space for the moment at least. And you can, you know, you can do some deep reading. You do whatever you need to do. That's, again, what we talked about a little bit earlier, the resilience in advance is the whole idea of knowing that I'm most likely going to get into some sort of challenges. What skills do I need to have in my bag? And then at the end of the day, if you've had a conflict with somebody and, Hopefully you've resolved it, but maybe you haven't. Is the idea to take the time and look back and say, okay, what can I learn from that experience? So for me, if it's helpful to the listeners, at the end of every day and in the, and the beginning of every day, I have a practice that I've done now for, let me see, 2018. So three years solid. Uh, and uh, I had a f- fragmented version of that before, but now it's a consistent version where first thing in the morning and last thing at night, I I write down some things related to my day. In particular, I will write down things that I'm grateful for. 
And there's a little secret there. Do you want me to share with you the secret as to why? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. It's because when we go asleep at night, there's a very interesting thing that happens. We transition from our beta state, which is what we're in right now as we're communicating. And then you move through the, you know, through the next phase, which is alpha and then theta and then delta, which is super deep sleep. But as you move through alpha, you start to feel that drowsy, hazy feeling. But what you're thinking about at that point in time is very, very likely to go into your subconscious mind. So if you're thinking about positive, joyful things, focusing on the good things from your day, this is what you want to bring into your mind and uh, in, into your, you know, your sleep. And a lot of times, of course, when we sleep, we have REM sleep and we have non-REM sleep. But the REM sleep, our, our dreams will be working around unresolved issues. And depending on what you want to bring into your sleep and your subconscious mind is really, really important. So you can control that. And I, I learned that years ago, and now I practice it. So as I go to sleep at night, I think about different areas of my life that I'm really grateful for, whether it's my health, whether it's my family, my friends, my work, whatever it is. And then I will go to sleep thinking about those things. But before I do that, I will make the notes that I mentioned. And I make them pen and paper. I don't put them on a phone or anything like that. And that is because there's a particular reason, not only the issue of using an electronic device late at night and potentially disturbing your sleep, laying that whole idea aside, it's because there is something about ourselves when we write something down, the movement of the uh, motor skills and that, embedding it in our brain. Like they say, when you write something down, you're more likely to remember it. Because as we create the words, Colton, like if I write them down, you know, um, dumb enough podcast, I'm imprinting those words, right? I'm creating those words. So my brain is very focused on it. So when you write down, I'm very grateful for having a great podcast this evening with Colton. I'm writing it down and I'm remembering it, right? So, and then, and then, and then I go get into bed and then I go through that process of, you know, thinking about the positive things in my life. First thing in the morning, I do the reverse. I think, before, you know, before I open my eyes, I think about what's going on in my life, what I'm grateful for in advance or things that have already happened or things that I want to have happen. Now, in the area, for those people listening, if they wish to experiment, when I think about things I want to have happen, I think of them in the present tense and I look at them with emotion, meaning it's not just I want something. No, it's I am experiencing something and I look for the emotion that I would experience when that's happening. Because our emotions really, when we talk about stuff, you remember, you know, when you hear a piece of music, the emotion comes back of when you heard that piece of music first. You know, you remember probably the first piece of music you heard and shared together with your wife, right? Those kind of things, like it's there or something that happened in your life, you remember it. So the emotions are really important. So just repeating or um, something is not enough to like write it down. You want to add the emotion to it. And then, as I, as I mentioned, then, like, then I, in the morning, then I will write down after I get out of bed the things I want to see happen that day. And I trained it. And some remarkable things have happened because of that. Although maybe they're not so remarkable because I want them to happen because I focus my energy on them. Yeah, you're doing it with intention. Yes, exactly. Is there, and this might just be something people have to practice, you know, if they yeah. want to try this at home, I would recommend trying it because I recommend trying everything my, my guests try and bring to us to help. Mm -hmm. Is it just one of those things that over time you will learn not to think about the negatives while you write these down? Like, I know if I try and think about my day, I'll think about the positives. I will also think like, ah, oh, that, that thing happened that I really disliked. Is there a way to kind of curb thinking about those? You can reinterpret them because there's always something that you can get from something that's wrong. Because if, as long as you are willing to learn from the experience, I can't suggest that people can do anything if they refuse to learn. That's something that's beyond my control because if I was, you know, when somebody comes to me looking for help, if they say, I'm here, but I don't want your help. <laughs> okay? It's like, okay. <laughs> so why are you here? Uh, so in this, in, to answer your question, you, you will look at, okay, this happened. Like if you, you know, we say you had a disagreement with somebody or, you know, what could I have done better? I mean, you could have that flat tire on the road and then you're, you're frustrated and you're just, well, I guess next time I need to make sure, you know, that I have the jack in the trunk of the car, just something as simple. 
Or for example, I got really frustrated today because I didn't know where I put my keys. Okay, and, and you lost time uh, and then you were late for an appointment and everything kind of cascaded from there. You can set into place a simple habit. Just, I'm, I'm going to give away one of my habits. Ever since I was a young kid, uh, I used to sometimes go out to school and forget the keys. And when I come home, I could get into the house. So I had to wait outside. So I designed the simple skill. I put my keys in my shoes that I was wearing the next day. This is a true story. And then I knew I couldn't go out the door without putting on my shoes. And of course, if I put my shoes on, hey, there's something in my shoe, ah, the keys. But then it became a habit because I attached the habit of remembering the keys and that I didn't need to put them in my shoes anymore, but it just became a habit. So it's, it, you know, people come home sometimes and you might know people who get frustrated losing stuff because they put the stuff in different places all the time. And our minds have so much going on. You know, it's amazing what we can remember and what we're stimulated by. So it helps our brain, helps, let me say, the, the bandwidth, uh, the ra random access memory that we're using right in the conversation right now to simplify things by making things easier for us to remember. You know, putting your wallet in a certain place, putting your keys in a certain place, putting the, the bread knife in a certain place. Because you have to, every time you go to search stuff, you're going to lose a lot of energy. So I would say the big answer uh, to your question is to reframe whatever went wrong and, and hopefully, you know, be grateful that you got a lesson from that because most things in our lives are bringing us something to learn from. And it's whether we choose to want to learn from them or we choose not to. And I think that's very critical. And it's very interesting to hear you talk about you know, the way you approach personal development, because it's the first time that I've heard anyone say, you know, a holistic approach to personal development. And I think that, you know, I've seen several people out there where they're like, oh, I could come, you know, talk about personal development on your show. And none of them ever quite like captivated me. Um, mm. So when you came in and you're like, well, I have this holistic approach to personal development. I'm like, okay, see now someone's speaking, you know, uniquely and they have developed this perhaps more than just a surface level. So I'd love to just hear more about, you know, this technique that you've developed and why have you, why you've called it the wonder technique. Okay. Now the wonder technique, I will share, uh, at its core, just like uh, I like to approach things is very simple and straightforward. And what it was is that when I started out, um, teaching the wonder technique and it came actually because, um, originally, uh, I, my mom had, had cancer and uh, I spent a lot of time with her traveling around to different medical appointments. And one of the things is I love trying to understand things. I'm very curious, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. And she was asking me, you know, how can I apply this in my life? Okay. She being lots of medical appointments. I was going to with her to not all, but most of the appointments. And I love the science, always love the science. Right. And, and, I, and when somebody says something, I want to fact check it. Right. You know, and says, Oh, X, Y, Z research. And I'm like in there, I want to know what the research is. So I've always enjoyed that heavy part of learning things, but trying to make them simpler to understand Colton. So what happened was after my room recovered, Somehow it got out there, and I think maybe my mom was partially responsible for this, that people thought that, hey, you know what, I'd love to find a simpler way to understanding things in terms of wellness. Now, you imagine this is 1999. It's a different world that we live in to now. Predates everything from Facebook, everything. Like, this is way early. So people, even then, were, were looking for a simpler approach to understanding things. And you'd be shocked. In my experience, uh, I was shocked, where I met people, did seminars where people in the audience were in the medical profession. And some of the things they didn't even understand that I thought they would have understood. And that was because they had, with all due respect, more of a siloed look at things, you know, one way instead of a holistic approach. So with the winter technique, I started to try and put together information. And I actually got a request uh, to do a presentation. And what happened was, is that I was like a fire hose of information. I had so much to share. And also I was extraordinarily nervous because I'm more, to use a typical term that most people understand, more introverted and extroverted. Uh, and I didn't know how to stand up in front of people. So I just got nervous and I was just talking, talking, talking. People were listening, but they weren't taking anything away because it was I was saying too much. So what I did is I went and sat down literally on the ground and started looking at all the different information I had about different areas of our lives, Colton, and I was looking at how can I integrate this and make it simple for me to remember, to use in my life, 
And if people are interested in hearing it, so they can remember it too. Now, I knew that uh, the importance of having a happy state of mind was important. So I needed to have no worries. I needed to understand something that I really believe in is the importance of proper nutrition. But I also knew that people won't eat food unless they think it's desirable for them. It's delicious, but nutritious, okay? I knew exercise was really important. I knew that rest was really important. I knew that going outside was really important, getting fresh air. Fresh air in an area where there's lots of oxygen, not on the busy streets, you know, where it's, it's noisy and it's polluted. And I also knew something that at that time was really had caught my attention, the importance of water. Now I've kind of intentionally kind of rolled this all around here, but where you're gonna get this, I assembled together the letters that were on each one of these topics, and it turned out to be beautiful. It was the word wonder. So W for water, O for outside, N for no worries, D for delicious, nutritious foods, E for exercise, and R for rest. It was perfect. So I'm always telling people to have a wonderful life, and it's true. And it, it, that's the simplest thing, simplest nugget, that if people can think every day, did I, did I look at those six things? That's all you have to do is start. And you remember it's holistic because, for example, I drank water today. You know, I did my, in my quiet time, you know, your version of meditation. I ate good food. I exercised, had a good night's rest. Oh, my God. I never went outside. And people do this. Or they miss out something else. I didn't, you know, I'm not really sleeping really well. Oh, gosh, I didn't exercise. Like, it's like a framework that people can do and just map into their heads. So that work has worked really, really well over the years. And a lot of people really love that acronym. And that's why I called it the winner technique. But there's a ton of information that comes out from all of that because I apply a lot of different things. But I always try to make things simple for people to remember. So I've done seminars uh, with children as young as six years of age. I did work in a cognitive development school all the way up to, uh, we shared this uh, lady who told me in the audience, she was 88. So I know the all, oldest audience member because she told me her age, I didn't ask her. So, and the key is, is that it goes across all the different age ranges. And I think uh, from my experience, really you can touch with people, the fundamentals cross cultures because we're all human. We all have the same core needs. We all want to be loved. We all want to be listened to. You know, we all need to nourish our minds and our body. We all need to sleep. We all need to be hydrated. We love being outside. Like these are these are principles, and I, and and I still get people to push against me, saying, you know, can you delete one of those things? But like Matthew Walker showed about sleep, we can't hack our ways out of sleep. You know, the people who think they have, they it comes back to haunt them. Well, it seems like you've created a really good list that you could put on something the size of a business card and laminate, and then every day, like, look at it and check things off. I've done this. I have a bookmark. I have a bookmark, exactly what you described. Yes. There you go. You're like, you look at it and you're like, oh, look, I never went outside because it's the only one that's not checked off. Let's go take a Mm -hmm. walk outside. Yeah. Um, So yeah, Yeah. it seems like an easy list of things to check off, but you're right in that all of those are extremely vital. You know, if you're not getting enough water and you're dehydrated all day, like you have a very serious problem, both, you know, physically and with whatever is bringing you to not drink any water. Yeah, for sure, Colton. And it's incredible to see, like a lot of people will talk about, you know, you know, changing their diet, focusing on what they're doing. They got lots of good information, but they're really missing the importance of water. And if you, for example, someone tells you, you need to move your digestive tract and eat more fiber. If you don't add proper amounts of water, you're going to end up with a problem. Now, I'm not a doctor. Don't pretend to be one. But those are fundamentals that you need to know that your body really needs to keep hydrated to a certain level. So all of those things, you're right. They all come together. And, you know, how do you feel when you miss a day of getting fresh air? If you spend inside all the time? Yeah. I mean, you feel like you've been inside. You have that kind of, Wow everything is really stagnant in here and it's starting mm-hmm. to get really stuffy. And what, what is that? And then you realize like, Oh, I haven't opened a door or a window in the last yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because I live in France, when in parts of the pandemic, we had a, a restriction that we couldn't go a kilometer from our home, which was incredibly restrictive, especially for people who lived in cities. I mean, I live in a village. So and a kilometer from my home is a little bit green, but if you lived in a downtown core, you were stuck in buildings. You couldn't get fresh air. I mean, you go out, you could go outside, okay, up to an hour a day, one kilometer. But you were still walking on the streets where, in most cases in the world right now, they're, they're still polluted. You're still sucking in air 
you know, from vehicles. Not good. That wasn't a healthy practice. Right. And that's, I think, something that's probably really important, you know, to discuss with you is a lot of people's mental health has taken a pretty heavy hit with the pandemic, with either being they've been stuck to work from home or they've been just stuck at home in general. Like, you know, they have no social life, even if they were an introvert, you know, like you still need a level of social life. Um, And a lot of people I think have been so isolated or they've been so restricted that just mental health has had a real deterioration. Um, And I know a lot of stats reflect that in the U S I've heard it again. I don't have the stats because I'm not the expert there either, but Mm -hmm. I have, I've certainly heard about it from, you know, some of my friends that work in the medical field is they're like, it's worse than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there, we have yet to see the impact because yeah. when people get out and start to move around more, they've kind of lost a little bit of that comfort zone. Like, uh, you know, I, I love using examples from relationships. If you're, if you're out there and you want to meet people and you're, you know, whether it's friendship or romantic, if you're in the habit of walking up to people saying, hello, how are you doing? But you haven't done it for two years. You've lost a little bit of that, you know, smoothness and not in the, you know, charismatic kind of, you know, twisting people's arms, but like the comfort that you naturally have. So we need to get back into the practice. Um, I will say that uh, I think, the best practice that I adhere to through all this uh, is always to make sure every day I would call a friend just to chat yeah. and just to listen to them, just to hear their voice, how their day is going. Cause in most cases I couldn't go out that long. <laughs> it sounds like, so it sounds so simple, Colton, but it's, you could do that. There was nobody saying we couldn't make phone calls. And really, uh, here we are talking on, you know, uh, right now, I know it's could just be an auto recording you'll present to people. We're on Zoom and I can see you. And that, that makes a huge difference. Doesn't it feel different if you do an a, um, a, a audio cast and you don't see the person? I always, I crave to see the person. We're human. We need that. So we need the interaction. So that, if people right now, as they're trying to readjust, assuming that they have friends in their lives, the best thing that they can do is reach out to them. And one way of, uh, if you want to see, it's a a pretty good technique actually to understand, are you talking to the right people? Because some people we have relationships with people are not exactly the ideal people. And I have a metering device uh, that I use, which uh, I probably learned from somebody somewhere along the line because everything just kind of comes through me, is the idea that when I have a conversation with somebody, if at the end of the conversation, I feel really drained, there's a challenge in that relationship. If I feel that I'm kind of like, okay, kind of like in the middle, it's okay. That's fine. Maybe it was me, whatever's going on. But the best friends that I have, when I end the conversation with them, I just feel great. So then you know, hey, this is a person I really enjoy being around. And you don't have to have you know, 500, 1,000, 10,000 friends, call yourself an influencer or whatever. Just a small group of friends is a great thing to have. It's the biggest blessing that we can have in our lives. Now, if you don't have a lot of friends or if you want to change friends, the secret technique that I would suggest to people is when it's possible, because I know right now, you know, we're, we're moving through still pandemic, moving to endemic, is the idea of volunteering. Because when you volunteer to do something, you're actually giving of yourself, which is a great position to be in. And you're meeting people who also have that same feeling, the same desire to help. So you're in alignment. And then pick something that you're volunteering that you actually enjoy doing or involves something that you enjoy doing. One of my friends has done a lot of volunteering and he volunteers um, distributing like at a food bank. And he meets people from all over the world. And he's like myself, he's traveled a lot and he just loves those conversations. And they're very enriching for him. So it's a great experience for him. It's a great experience for the people that meet him. And he's also volunteering. And he's made more friends from that. Now, he, he didn't lack friends at the time, but it's a way of doing things, right? You know, just a thought. I don't know. You can give me your feedback if you think these ideas are off the wall. I don't mind. No, that's I, think, what I, do. I think that's great. And it's a good icebreaker because you don't have to worry about how to start a conversation with someone if they are volunteering or at just in the same general area as you participating in the same event you yeah. the event is the icebreaker <laughs> like, yeah that's yeah. it you're just like hey so we're both here 
and now yes. the next conversation and it just rolls right out because exactly. you're already you're already sharing something exactly exactly it's, it makes it so much simpler it's like how do you meet new people you know how do you make new friends you participate in activities that you enjoy and you'll be around people you can relate to I mean, I know it sounds simple, straightforward, but why is it, Colton, that as human beings, we look for the most complicated solutions when, in fact, the simplest ones are often the easiest, right? Right. You know? Well, that's just me. <laughs> it's probably something about humans love to find the pattern in something, but sometimes you only have one, one data point you need to hit. You don't have to make a pattern. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, quit, quit looking for the extras. It's right yeah, in front of you. Exactly. So hopefully, you know, like uh, that helps a little bit answer your question. I mean, it would be more specific if you if you said, well, what if a person's doing this and that? But this just two, two general ideas, as I would say, is every day. Like I still do it now. I still make sure I reach out to a friend. And it's like you can forget to do that. And don't hurt yourself because you're forgotten. You got busy doing something. But you work on the fact that you're reaching out. And you, you learn more about your friends, of course, the more you listen than just you going and talking. And uh, also, here's something else that just popped up. Uh, I get these mental notifications. Some people get them on their phones. I get them in my brain. I just had one of those go off. <laughs> it's the idea that to be very aware of the conversations that you have with people. And if you're going through a difficult time in your life, if you constantly speak about those difficult things with your friends, as you converse with those people, you're actually reinforcing your memory of the experience. So, for example, when I, um, I was rock climbing inside a center a number of years ago, and I fell, uh, well, I think that technique fell. The story is, is that I used to, I, learned, I wanted to learn to rock climb. If those people are curious, why would David learn to rock climb? It's because I do a lot of hiking, done a lot of hiking for years. But sometimes I couldn't go to the summit because it was too exposed. And I felt uncertain. You know, I'm not a bird, didn't know how to fly. How am I going to make it down? So I wanted to learn how to rock climb. And a few years ago, I decided to go to a center uh, just to taste the idea of, of climbing. And I knew I would like to do it as well. And I was only there for a couple of weeks, and I, but I kept on climbing up the wall. So what they call, I don't know what they call, I think they call the same in North America, bouldering, where you're just climbing up, there's things, and I climbed down. Nobody climbed down. I was the only guy climbing down, and that was because if I was rock climbing, I was hiking. If I went to the summit, I needed to be able to get down. So when I was at the center, I was climbing up or climbing down, but I noticed everybody was just jumping from, it, from when they were up the top or wherever they were. I wasn't very high up, Colton, but one day I had this idea, don't know where it came from, to jump off the wall. And I landed with my legs straight. Oh, my legs, yeah. I can see the look on your face and anybody listening is probably going to, yeah, exactly. I felt an electric shock and I buckled on my spine. I had two massive hernias that I didn't realize right away that had happened. Only after I went to the hospital and they did an MRI. Because my body, your body is so resilient, it kind of hides everything for a bit. You know, I actually kept on climbing for just maybe another half an hour afterwards it happened because I thought, oh, that'll pass. It didn't. And I went to the hospital and they scanned me and they said, uh, probably your best bet. And the interesting thing about in France um, is that when you go to a hospital and there's somebody checking the x-ray at emergency, he was actually a surgeon. He wasn't just a radiologist, uh, no disrespect to the radiologist, but he knew, he, and he was saying, you know what, you've done enough damage here that you probably want to consider an operation. And I was like, no, because I knew two people already who had bad, bad back operations. But why I, I mentioned that to you is because then I, I learned from that experience how to actually, through time, to become stronger I'm now hiking again. I'm now rock climbing again. I'm like, I rebuilt all of my life after that particular experience. But it was because I decided at one point in time, as I mentioned earlier, I was telling my friends about this experience because it was traumatic for me because it had, it had wrecked everything. I had young children to support. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't hike. I was All these things were in my head. But I stopped talking about it. And I started working on the problem. And it's important for me just to share with people sometimes to say, well, am I just constantly talking about my problems? Am I actually taking an action to heal the problem? So that was a, a long introduction as to why it's important not to talk too much 
But I realized that when I'm talking too much about a problem, I'm not working on fixing the problem. Yeah, I think that's probably a very important thing for people to hear because, I mean, so often, and I think that's partly reinforced by our social media world that we live in, is like everyone just kind of airs their problems and they get, you know, a positive feedback loop from it. They're like, oh, I have this problem. And then people are like, oh, stay strong. We're with you. Like whatever the button is. Yes. And they're like, oh, that got a good reaction. So I'm just going to continue to share the problems. And it doesn't force them to try and improve themselves at all. It's just like, oh, well, then I'm just going to keep sharing problems. Yeah, exactly. That's something we all try to get. Those of us who, who don't like that situation are trying to deal with that. But there's a lot of people that there's a benefit that they get from that the state of mind that they're in, you know, it's, it's really sad when people are in a relationship that on one side of them, they know it's not working. It's not the right thing, but they're getting some sort of benefit from it. Otherwise they would not be in it. You know, there's no need for me to even give examples. People, unfortunately, people would be, might be even like raging out at me through, through uh, listening to this. What is he talking about? There's not a bit, but you actually think about it because I've talked to people about, you know, you've told me that this relationship is not working, but, you know, tell me if you don't mind, you know, we're friends, why are you still in it? And they tell me, well, the reason why I'm in it is, and then you can hear their benefit and they're like, okay, all right. So now I understand what you're doing. Uh, So everybody has a reason why, but if something is really not good for you, it takes courage and uh, to just move away from it and to accept that you deserve better because we all deserve better. That's something that's been very hard for me to see in people that I know and love where they get stuck in something that's really not good for them. Yeah, I think I think I've all I think we've probably all heard the story at one point in time where you have a friend and you're like, why are you still with this person? And they said, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever drill down deep enough, they're like, I'm just scared to be alone. Yeah. Like, what if I'm just this is it and after this I'm alone forever? It's a very like, you know, it hurts just even to hear that from your friends, but you're you're like, this isn't, this isn't it. And they're like, well, you can't prove that this isn't the, like the last thing. And it's like, if this was your last relationship and you were going to be by yourself from now on, is this really how you'd prefer to live your life is half miserable with a person you don't really enjoy your time with. And they're like, well, no but I just don't know what the alternative is. And it's like, well, that's not a reason to not look for it. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom there, Colton. There's something that I suggest to people when they're kind of in a position, whether it's a wrong job, the wrong relationship, the wrong fiddle in the blank, is go into the future five, 10 years and imagine that you still have that situation. I'm still financially in debt. I'm still in this relationship. I'm still doing a job that I hate going to or doing, participating. And Imagine that that problem is still there and you spent those 10 years probably getting worse and worse and more and more upset. And it starts to come out of you, like meaning that your interactions with friends are getting contaminated by your fact that you are in financial stress or you're in the wrong relationship or you're in the wrong job. Like it's going to impact the world around you. So look where you would be in 10 years time and then say, okay, what can I do now? Walk yourself back to now, reverse engineer to now and say, okay, what steps can I take that can improve my life? Now, maybe the relationship that you're in is not going good actually can be turned around because you know what? 100% of the time you're, you're involved in a relationship. So maybe it's something that you're doing and in a relationship is all about us growing. It's not just, oh, found this person. We're together now. Now I stop. Like it's all about the, you know, the courting and the dating. And then when you're together and, you know, you're both committed, it's like, oh, I stopped doing something. No, like as Esther Perel says, it's a constant growing experience, right? And it's a, a joyful experience. It'll have up and downs because that's our lives. But we need to be willing to look at our lives and, and say, okay, what can I do? Because if you have a financial problem, if you just decide I'm just going to spend as much as I earn each month, or I'm going to spend less. You're going to turn your life around. It may take time, but at least it's going to be that you're not accumulating more debt. That's very simple. 
There's many, many different things in the financial arena that you can do to actually change and reduce your expenses. Because it always surprises me when people, you know, when you look at what they're doing financially, they you try and look objectively and say, well, well, hang on a second here, you know, do you really need to buy that or do that? Well, no, I could get by without that for at least a month. Great. So then you kind of change things, right? So. There's many changes that we can, but we just have to look it in the eye, right? As you might say yourself, what can I do? You know, and you can make the change because it's not worth it going through a life. And actually, for all those people who are in relationships and thinking, oh, maybe this is not the right relationship. And they're thinking about their partner, right? And thinking, okay, well, you know, I can't. Why, why do, if I leave them, X, Y, Z, something will happen to them. In fact, my vision of looking at the world is, is that when you release them for the relationship because you don't want to be there anymore, you're actually helping them as well. Because if the two of you are not happy together, there's a chance that the two of you should be in a relationship with other people. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. And there's something else in there that actually one of my friends, she said to me only uh, two days ago, we were having a conversation and she's a native French speaker. And, and we were talking about words and that, and she mentioned, she just picked it up out of the, sen- uh, the sentence that in English, we have the word alone and lonely. They're not the same. I'm alone. I'm on my own, meaning that, you know, I'm doing things on my own. Lonely is something completely different. Uh, she explained to me, and I'm, I'm, you know, I speak French, but I'm not a native French speaker. She said, en français, il n'y a pas de mots comme ça. It's, it's, just, it's sous le monde, it's like a seul. Seul is alone, but it's, it's like there's not a separate word for lonely and alone. So if you feel lonely, it's a completely different emotional experience from then. I'm just at home alone. Right? Some, so if you look at it, some people think they cannot be alone because they'll be lonely. But no, no. You know, you go to a movie alone. It's not the same as going to a movie and being lonely. Okay. Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm just, but this came up because she had this conversation with me and she noticed it because we were talking about things. And I thought, wow, some languages don't even have the different words. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right because you can be alone in the house because your partner went to do something with their friends. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're lonely. It just means that you are physically alone in the house. Yeah. Whereas you can be surrounded by people and still be lonely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And what you just mentioned there is really important, which, you know, I mentioned stuff to remind me um, and that's, you know, maybe people in your audience haven't thought of this, but they probably have. And you probably have too, is that in a relationship when you don't spend time with the person that you're with, meaning you go out and meet your friends and, they're at home or you're at home and they go meet their friends and actually add as a richness to the relationship. It doesn't break it apart because I had uh, one friend tell me recently that the, the last relationship that they were in, they were, they felt they had to always be with the other person and they felt a draining to always have to be with the other person. Interesting. Eventually they realized they didn't want to be with that person, but they thought they should always be everywhere they went, but we're different people and we're never the same. We have different needs. We have different friends, you know, too simple. It's like, if you told someone they, ha- whoever they chose to be with as a partner, they had to be tied at the waist together forever. Mm-hmm. They'd probably never pick anyone because yeah. it's like, it's an undesirable situation. You know, yes. you can't, you just can't spend that much time with any one person because, yes. you know, you need time away from them. Even if it's just to reflect on them. Somewhat, you're like, oh yeah, you know, when they're not around, I do miss them. Or, you know, it would be fun. I'm seeing it now by myself. Maybe when they get home, I'll talk about this thing. Yeah. That gives you a little bit of joy just to be like, oh, I do get to talk about this thing with my partner later. Yes. Yes. And that's about what you described there, Colton, is perspective. When you step back, and I've often heard, I mentioned Esther Perel before, and she's a great. uh, a very, very knowledgeable lady. And she she said, like, when you see your partner who is doing what they love to do, it's enormously attractive in relationships because you see, wow, they're really living what they want to do instead of a person thinking, oh, I should be doing this because my partner likes to do it. I'm not perfect. I've done this. I've had, when I was younger, I had girlfriends where I went and did stuff all the time because they like doing it. 
And the relationship never worked out. Well, it was me responsible for that because I wasn't in love with the things that they love to do. I was just thinking I should be doing that. And then the difference is when you end up being yourself and everybody's unique and people see you living your passion, whatever that is, or you know, whether it's an activity, whatever it is, they go, wow, that, that's attractive to people. It's not attractive to try and be somebody else. It's attractive to be yourself. That's very true. And it would be a crime if I did not ask you this because it seems so in your wheelhouse. How do people find their thing? Something that they they can live with a purpose. They find ah, their question. Like, what this. do I want to be? Because when I was younger, I was like, where's the online test that tells me what I want to be when I'm mm. older? And then you never find it. And you're like, man, I guess I just have to figure it out. But how do you okay. do that? <laughs> okay. I do have an answer. And if people, if they were able to watch the video to see, I'm like just vibrating here because I do have an answer. And I will share a little bit. And I will tell people that one of the eBooks that I've written is called How to Find Your Purpose, How to Find and Follow Your Purpose. And I'm actually in the process of making a video version of that, which will expand upon what's in the eBook. But here's a taste. Once again, watch out for the acronyms and those people listening, they can make some notes as they want, okay? When you're looking for your purpose in, in your life, you're looking to make an agreement with yourself to do what you really want to do. And to me, I call that a pact, like an agreement with yourself. And there's a reason why I use the word pact, because P-A-C-T are letters that I use in the program to help remind people, okay? P is about your purpose, how to find it. A is the things to avoid in your life that are pushing you off your purpose. C is the things that you're committing to, to find your purpose. And T is the tools that help you on that path. And for those people listening, I will share. And even on the webpage about the ebook, they'll see some of these things broken down. How do you find your purpose? You look at different things in your life. For example, what do you find yourself doing that you lose track of time? Look back even as when you were a child and you're at home and you would never hear, you know, if you're blessed having parents around calling you, people saying it's dinner time, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even feel hunger. You're constantly wanting to do it. You're, you're drowned in the activity, okay? That's something that will clue you into something that you love to do. Just think about maybe it's just like me. I know for myself, I would take things apart all the time. I was very curious. Now, it didn't mean that like as a child, I was taking apart toys. It didn't mean that as I was an adult, I was going to take apart toys. But what it did evolve into is what I do is I take apart things in terms of human psychology, shall we say, and look how do they work? And then I reassemble them back together. That's the wonder technique. So looking for, you know, things that persist in your thoughts when you're, you know, what do you want to learn more about? That's something that's really important because if you're really excited about something and really motivated about something, you will keep doing it regardless. That's part of your purpose. Also, what is it that you really want to do? Even if other people are telling you it's not important. That will, again, align you to what's what you're really interested in doing. And part of that program, I also share with people things to avoid. Avoid things, for example, trends. You know, there's plenty of trends out there. You know, you're doing, and I, I listen to for the audience to know, I listen to Colton's uh, question and answer uh, show uh, just before, this earlier this afternoon. And I listened to a, a couple of other podcasts as well. But what I noticed is I heard your passion for what you're doing. So I sense that you really enjoy this work, okay? And you're looking to build a Patreon following and such because you want to be able to, which you deserve, to have some sort of financial return, which will help you develop the program and spend more time on it. This is great. So you kind of get a feeling for what you're really interested in doing. But however, a lot of people are doing podcasts now, and also a lot of people are being coaches. And I once was on a podcast, and the lady said to me, David, every one of my friends, they're coaches now. Everybody wants to be a coach because it's very trendy. But the truth is, is it really what you're meant to do? That's what you have to ask yourself. Or are you following the trend? You know, I want to build a startup. Why do you want to build a startup? So I can exit and become a millionaire or a billionaire. No, that's not the reason to build a startup. Like there's a great story when Peter Thiel interviewed uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg about selling, you know, to Yahoo, Facebook for a billion at the time. I think it was in I don't know, 
2006, 7, 8, whatever date's not so important. Um, Peter Thiel said, well, you're going to get 250 million from this. What are you going to do? You know, wouldn't that be great? And at the time, it was like for younger than he is now. And Zuckerberg said, well, I don't know what to do. Probably start a social network. Like he's so in love with the idea, whether you like or dislike Facebook and whatever the story is. The point is that he was doing what he wanted to do. And that's what gave him the drive to continue doing what he wants to do a long time since he's, he started Facebook. And it's the long game. I mean, the long game is really important. The long game is important in relationships. It's important in our work. If you can't see yourself being committed to a business or a relationship long-term, then it's not the right business. It's not the right relationship. So hopefully I gave you a few little tasters as to how you find your purpose, because it's probably standing in front of you, you know, for those people who are thinking, just take the time to reach out and say hello to what the experience is. Yeah, and I think some of that, obviously I have a, a great amount of passion for my podcast. And I think I, I force other people to see that because I won't ever stop talking about it. Um, uh-huh. I, I think that's one of those that's like, if you're really passionate about something, you could probably ask the people around you, like, what do I talk about too much? And they're yes. going to be like, yes, it's this. You talk about your podcast all the time. Yes. Stop talking about it. Yes. That's one of the things that I mentioned here, right? It's, it's like you want to help and you want to learn. You want to improve. And I remember in your question and answer period, I was listening. You, you said, I just got a new microphone. Remember you said that? Yep. So you're wanting to improve what you're doing. You're not like sitting down and saying, okay, well, that's enough. That's okay. I'll just kind of rest where I am. Because as human beings, we are, we desire to evolve. We desire for our work to grow. We desire to express ourselves more. One of the things that uh, I recommend to people is that whatever you choose to do, it must happen to your creativity. Because we are very creative beings. We love to create everything from biological to beyond. We desire that. We love to be making things. And I think a lot of people in the world that we live in right now have stopped creating. You know, And it doesn't have to be something that you're going to be able to sell. No, it can be something that just gives you joy from to create. Uh, as a suggestion to people who are thinking, oh, I need to start a business. I need to give up my work. No, start a business idea that you really love to do. And if people are willing to pay you to support you, that's great. But don't stop doing what you love to do because people aren't giving you money. Because you may have to work a job, a quote on job, job on the side, but when you're not at work, you're doing what you want to do. But don't give up on your dream because you can't monetize it. Does that make sense? Because yeah. if you're doing the right thing, it will work out. But it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. None of the successful businesses happen overnight. They just don't. Well, and that's what they say. You know, if you go to business school, which I haven't been to business school, but I've seen enough TV to know what they say. They say in your first couple of years, a business does not earn you money. Yeah. You know, it operates under its own expenses. Yes. So you're like, you're either dumping money into it or it is making like an even break but you are not going to be like fabulously wealthy just because you opened a brick and mortar shop. Exactly. And you will have the motivation to get up in the morning, throw back the blankets and do this work. If you're doing something that you're passionate about, if it's something that your parents suggested to your friends suggested to you, not because you're talking a lot about the podcast and they can see, Hey, just go do this. Right? No, all due respect, Colton. But the idea that people say, Oh, you should do this. You should. No, no. It needs to be something that comes from you. I kind of call it the desert Island test. Well, you know, if you're on your own, like, and there was nobody around, what would you want to do? Like, what would be really exciting? Of course, most people, they want to impact other people in the world and help out. But it's the idea that don't make a decision based upon what other people do. Make the decision based upon what really lights you up. And I think that uh, everybody, I'll reach on the limb here, really has at least one thing that lights them up. The problem is, is that they're afraid of it. That's a separate issue. Because what if people don't accept me for doing this? Doesn't matter. The world needs you. I say this to everybody listening. The world needs you to do what you need to contribute. Everybody brings a gift. I think they do. And that's you have to find your purpose. And when you do, you're going to bring more than anyone who is not passionate about that topic. You know, anyone who just decided like, I'm going to be a life coach today because it's trendy. Well, if they're not passionate about being a life coach, they're just doing it because it's trendy and they want to make some money. They're going to be just worse at it 
by the fact that they don't have that passion that if you start and you do enjoy it. Yeah. And I can say that I, you know, at times I've tried to leave aside the wonder technique when I went through a lot of stuff, the car accidents, all the stuff when I moved to France, couldn't speak the language and all that. The wonder technique haunted me. Like it just wouldn't go away. <laughs> and that's because it was one of my friends, one of my good friends, she says, uh, you are the wonder technique, David. It's not, you do, it's like, it's part of me. There's so many different things that I created over time that are part of it, but it's really, it's part of me. And I'm really blessed to have understood that and I'm rolling with it. And it's now being 21 years. So I guess it's the right thing to do. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the beauty of it is if I did not have you on the show, no one that came on the show would give me the wonder technique. Exactly. You know, I might have someone on, like you said, that talked a lot about sleep and I may very well still have someone on who talks a lot about sleep, but they're not going to give someone, you know, a one lesson guide that says, write these six things down, yeah. do these six things. It's fine to dig into all six things, you know, very deeply, but make sure you're doing them all <laughs> for sure. And in fact, I can be that guest on sleep, <laughs> but for meaning that I can go deep on that. Like, for example, just a couple of things for people who have trouble with sleep. We need to sleep in a dark room. It's got to be dark. And if you sleep with somebody in the same room and they don't like being in the dark, put something over your eyes. Like it brings, it rises the melatonin in your system so that you engage sleep. It's really important. We also like to sleep in a cooler room. We don't like a hot room. The cool air helps you helps us settle down into sleep. And as much as you can to be in a room of silence, right? That's really important. And another thing is, as you want to um, get a better night's sleep, routine, going to bed at the same time every day of the week, whatever that time is, it doesn't matter. But that routine, your brain kind of gets into the system. It's like learning a bicycle. It knows, ah, this is the time, this is when I need to go to sleep. Like it starts to tune down. You create habits, so there's just a couple of different tips for people, but these are fundamental things that if you just try and push away, you know, there's a reason your body uses light to activate itself. So if you're trying to go asleep and you're, there's light around, it's like you're, you've got to clash. And this is a biological thing. We've had these for thousands of years. You ain't going to train it out unless you're forcing yourself. And that's not good. You need to be in sync. Yeah. And see, now that you bring up little things, I'm like, well, now I need to do, now we need to come back and do an episode on sleep because I just <laughs> thought of 10 questions that I need to ask you about sleep. Oh my gosh, sleep is so important. I mean, pick another guest, uh, do whatever you wish, but like, for example, learning, the capacity to learn and how, for example, well, here's, here's a little story. Um, and you can, people can, listening can check it out. Go online and look for pic pictures of Thomas Edison, uh, the inventor, in his workshop. And you will find that Edison used to always tell people, I only sleep like four hours a day. But Edison was a notorious napper. He had sleeping beds in his workshop, in his office. And in fact, one of the photos I've seen, he was sleeping on a workbench. And what he used to do, and this is what the benefits, and Edison knew this, and it was pretty amazing because there wasn't a lot of studies on this at that time, I imagine, is that when you have a problem that you're trying to sort through, you write it down, you think about it, and then you sew it into your subconscious mind. Edison used to do this. He would, okay, now I've got the problem. I need to, to kind of work on it and let the supercomputer that's in your brain, your subconscious mind, work on it. Not keep on running it around in the, you know, in the pre prefrontal cortex, running in your short-term memory. You need it to get attached to all the different knowledge that you have in your brain. And all those experiences that you think you don't remember, but you actually do, right? And, and then so you go into your sleep and you let the brain work on it. And when they found in the research that when you took the time to rest between uh, thinking about a problem, the chances of you finding a solution were greater. If you studied something, had a nap, and then did the exam, you were more likely to have remembered the information in the exam than if you studied and went straight to the exam. It's really interesting stuff. Interesting. It's kind of like people having all their best ideas in the shower. Exactly. It's like, because your brain's not thinking about that problem and you're just doing, you know, whatever it takes to get clean, your brain's like running in the background and processing all those things. It really is. It really is. And when people talk about, you know, artificial general intelligence, I'm always like, I don't know how you're going to match the system that we have because we run on a very low wattage. We're not like, we don't need the power that supercomputers need. And we have this incredible ability to 
put things together, if you think about the human history, how did we get this far? You know, with all the destructive nature that human beings have, how do we manage to get this far in the things that we've created, the positive things, whether it's, you know, eradicating certain diseases, there's just amazing things that we've done. And that's because we have an incredible ability to put things together. Once again, to reaffirm anybody listening that you have untouched talent. You really have it. Yeah. You just have to believe it. Yeah. You got to believe in yourself, at least at some yes. level. Otherwise... You're just spinning your wheels, right? Yeah, for sure. Alrighty, well, well, I do hope I've given some benefit to your audience and to yourself, Golden. Yes, I think you absolutely have. I'm going to go write myself a note card and laminate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I appreciate your time immensely. And I know I got to let you go um, real quick. Yes. Let everybody know where they can find you and where they can find your books and all your other material. Okay. I like to make it simple. TheWonderTechnique.com, T-H-E-W-O-N-D-U-R-T-E-C-H-N-I-Q-U-E.com. That's where you'll find everything. I'm not huge on social media by choice, really, because I want to use my energy for the time with family, friends, and the people that I'm working with. And I put everything into The Wonder Technique. So I have nine different eBooks that are on the website. And as I mentioned, I'm building out video courses for each one of them because I understand that not everybody likes to learn by reading some people like to learn through video so i decided to in the process of creating that so very simple and oh one thing i'll mention i believe i did send them to you colton that if anybody jumps on my website there is a stack of free gifts that they get right away okay including there's a better sleeping checklist there's also a, a book of uh, 10 tips to health and happiness. There's a whole stack. Just get to check it out. There's many motivational cards that I created. You mentioned about laminated. These are little cards that I created years ago, inspired by my dad, and they're positive little quotes. And these are great little things that you can print off. And then you can take the little card and slip it in a friend's pocket or leave it on a bus or whatever. You know, I call it positive litter, you know, and there, that's the stack of stuff there. If people go online, they request my newsletter. They'll get all that for free. Everybody needs to go check that out. And thank you very much again for being a guest today. My pleasure. Thanks again, Colton. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. As you can probably hear, I can still hardly speak without coughing. So I'm going to go ahead and skip all the extra stuff at the end. You all know what to do anyways. I'll see you in the next one, which uh, will actually be in just a few days. Bye-bye.